0: Good morning. You know, uh, we have a lot of different people do a variety of things here at this church. Uh, these guys that are passing the plates and serving and doing, they, they're, they're here consistently. They're always willing to serve. And uh, it'd be all right, wouldn't it, if we just showed our appreciation for that crew there? You say, Mark, there's nothing to that job. Well, until you drop one plate and you're chasing pennies down the slanted floor, you know, everything comes to the bottom here. You know, it's interesting when you're preaching, you see a lot of things on the slanted floor roll down in front of you. Uh, I've seen bottles, cups, tar, uh, little cars. I'll give that one back later on. I wanted to play with that for a while. Uh, you know, you just see a variety of things roll down. Uh, but, uh, look, uh, these guys do a great job serving and waiting on the table. Our greeters do a great job. A lot of folks do make uh, make things happen at a service and throughout the week, different things. And so uh, just want to make sure that we recognize that. Also, our uh, our 60s group is leaving tomorrow morning. Tomorrow morning. So we want to have uh, uh, Luann said, could you please pray for the 60s group uh, traveling? So we don't want any... We want everything to go smooth. No, no, nobody falling out of the bus. Nobody. I'm like, don't push anybody. I mean, be easy. You know, uh, all those things that can't can happen traveling with a big group of people. Right? Uh, they're going to have a great time together. I, I do want to stop and have a word of prayer just for their enjoyment and their safety of their trip. And uh, also in that prayer, I want to. Many of you know that uh, one of our sisters here, Miss Willa, who's been here for many, many years. Uh, Passed away, and I want to have a prayer for Willa uh, and her family, and also for uh, someone that uh, a friend of mine and also that inspired me early on in preaching uh, a preacher uh, for the churches of Christ from way back. Brother Marvin Phillips passed away, and so I want to have a prayer for his family. I talked to his grandson uh, twice this week, and so. course, they're excited for his victory, but at the same time, as always, you know, it's always sad to lose somebody. So we want to mention a few of those things in prayer. Father, we love you. Oh, as we just take a moment to slow down and to acknowledge you as the great and mighty God, a great Father who hears us in our time of need. We approach your throne of grace, Father. We're thankful, Father, for well, I'm thankful for every member of this church family and ask your blessings upon them. I'm thankful, Father, for our older group that will be traveling and I ask for everything just to go smooth, for vehicles to run right, for for people to feel good, for people to have a good time fellowshipping and being together on their trip and that you would bring them back here safe. Thank you, Father, for Greg and Gary and Ann, all those, Julie, all of them that worked so hard to in that ministry, and uh, just ask a blessing upon them. Father, for Willis' family, she she worked in this church so many years. It was an encouragement to me personally, and I I know she'll be missed. with Angela and the rest of the family and their loss. I pray, Father, for Marvin's family. I know they're celebrating his victory, yet at the same time, obviously, it's hard to lose somebody, but We don't grieve like folks who have no hope. And I'm thankful, Father, for his inspiration uh, and motivation and encouragement to preach the word. And so many I know that are in ministry now because of him, uh, his encouragement and his mentoring. Thank you, Father, for his life. And we, we, along with his family, celebrate his victory. Thank you, Father, for the day we have together. Give us wisdom as we explore your word. And may your spirit guide us in all things. In Jesus' name we pray and the church said, amen. All right, turn to 1 Kings chapter 2. Now we've been in this series of uh, what to do when there's nothing else left to do. And obviously that's a perception because there's always something else to do, right? And uh, so let's do a little bit of reading and and talking about this. He says that when the time drew near for David to die, he gave a charge to Solomon, his son. I'm about to go the way of all the earth, he said. So David recognized he's fixing to die, right? Uh, So as he knows this, he wants to make sure his son gets some information from him. And that's the way we all are? When we know we're about to get out of here, we want to make, well, we want to make sure our kids are set up the right way, right? We want, them, we want to know, make sure they know exactly what we want them to do. And so that's David here. And so he's about to, to die. And I don't know, a, in the ministry I have, well, it's a, I think it's a fortune, but some would say it's a misfortune, to be around so many people at the time of the end of their life. And uh, uh, I can remember uh, some so encouraging to me. I, re- I remember uh, out in Howard when he was uh, uh, really uh, getting close within a few days of his death. He called Alan and I to come out, and we went out to visit him. And we we sat around his bed, and we talked and visited. And he said, uh, "He said, okay, boys, it's 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 yours now. Keep the fire burning." And I'll never forget. He said, "Now you will get burnt a little bit along the way when you're doing this, but keep it going." You know, he, he understood the task leading a church was was difficult. But boy, you know, he was like, "Keep it going." And I remember, uh, I remember uh, uh, visiting Carl and Alan and I would go sit down with him and visit. And of course, he would give us the, "If you find them, teach them," right? You know, and the best is yet to come, and those things. But but also, he got around and, and I remember he said. So guys, this is, the of all the years, he said, I believe right now is the best staff and the best elders that, that we've ever had. And y'all, we, 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 we've, we've done all we can. You guys got to keep the gospel going out there. Whatever you do, keep that going. And I thought, man, what, what a great encouragement. His thoughts were about the kingdom. It wasn't about him, it was about the kingdom. And, and sit down with Bill the 12 different times he was going to die. Right? Right, Kim? <laughs> so, you know, because there'd be moments that'd be like, he'd stick his clothes, and oh, Bill, you know, he would all of a sudden, you know, kind of get off doing nothing, and he'd go a whole lot longer than anybody thought. And so, uh, but so, but we had those conversations. I remember him telling us the same thing. Mike, we've got the best staff, and, and, and look, keep reading, and keep studying, and you guys are doing great. We had all these all these things that we had talked about and studied, and yet he was like, we're not at the end now. We've got more things to learn. And so it was that, that kind of encouragement that just did my, did my heart good, you know. And he would say, You know, you guys are like sons in the faith to me. Keep the gospel going. Matter of fact, did you know this, that, and you might believe it or not, there's not one change or direction that we've done that those three guys didn't set in order to begin with, by the way. Some say, well, you know, Mike, I'll tell you what, boy, if Bill was here, that's would Are you kidding me? I'm slow compared to what Bill wanted to do. I'm just telling you right now. He's like ready to go all the time. He's, he want to do whatever was possible to win as many as possible. I believe Paul said that somewhere in the Bible, didn't he? Being with people when they're on their way out, not really out, they're on their way up. It's uh, sobering, but it's exciting. So here is King David, and he's on his way out. And he's talking to his son, but his son is also the next king of the nation. So he tells him, verse 2, So be strong, act like a man, I kind of like that, That sounds more like my dad's words when he was going out, you know. Be strong, act like a man, and observe what the Lord your God requires. Walk in obedience to Him, and keep His decrees and commands, His laws and regulations as written in the law of Moses. Do this so that you may prosper in all you do and wherever you go. Basically, he told him, follow God's Word. That's what he told him. Remember, David understood those things about God's Word. That word have I hid in my heart that I might not what? Sin against you. He knew the power of meditating on God's word. He knew the the power of understanding God's word and following those commandments and decrees that God had given him. And so he really wants to make a point there. And look, wouldn't that be what you would tell your kid? Look, whatever you do, I'm fixing to leave. Whatever you do, you stay in God's word. You follow God's word. No matter what, you stay with God. That was, that was Trent's first lesson on this. I loved it. Follow God's Word. Look what he says next. And that the Lord may keep His promise to me. If your descendants watch how they live, and if they walk faithfully before me with all their heart and soul, you'll never fail to have a successor on the throne of Israel. Trust God's promise. He says, first you follow God's Word and you trust God's promise. Now, sometimes we have a difficult thing doing that because when things don't turn out the way we think they ought to, we want to try to go fix things. When God's already laid out some promises for us, what we really need to do, instead of fixing things, we need to be faithful to what God says. And that's a difficult time. Sometimes it really is to trust God when it doesn't seem like things make sense. Follow God's Word, he tells him. And he tells him to trust God's promise. But he tells him something else in the next verses. He's going to remind him of some things that uh, hadn't been taken care of. He says, Now, you yourself know what Joab, son of uh, Zariah, did to me. What he did to the two commanders of Israel's armies, Abner, son of Ner, and Amasa, son of Jether. He killed them, shedding their blood in peacetime as if in battle. And with that blood he stained the belt around his waist and the sandals on his feet. Deal with him according to your wisdom. But do not let his gray head go down to the grave in peace. You know what he tells him? Protect the kingdom. He understood Joab was a threat to the kingdom. Joab was one of his commanders who had really done some ruthless things. And he's going to tell him, you got to protect the the kingdom from this guy. Now here's how you do that. This You're going to have to do something with this guy because I couldn't finish it when I was there. So basically he's going to tell him with these verses finish unfinished business. And that takes us to our story today. Let's look at these verses one more time. Finish unfinished business. Now you yourself know what Joab son of Zariah did to me. Who is this I don't know exactly how to say that name. I just call her Zir. I, I started to call her Zeri, but I was afraid people's phone might start coming on. Zir. This is a woman. Anybody know who she was? This David's sister. You have David. I'm not going to list all of them, but you have David, and you have Zeria, Zariah, and you have Abigail. Brothers and sisters. Got it? So it's going to be a family affair. So he says what he did to two commanders of Israel's armies. And the first one he names is Abner and the next one he names is Amasa. Let's look at what Joab did to Abner first. In 2 Samuel, this isn't on the screen. I'm just going to read. and You can turn if you want. 2 Samuel chapter 3 is this story. Now, Joab is a commander in army. Got it? He's a big wheel. He's had a lot of victories. Now, Abner is a guy that's been a, a friend of Saul's for a long time. But Abner introduces David to Saul, to, to Saul back in November when he, the Goliath deal all happened. Abner's involved in that. But Abner ends up, you know, because he's, he's with Saul, but then all of a sudden with David, he makes, he makes some peace things take place with David being set up as king. And so, uh, David honors Abner, and Abner's a good man. Now, Joab do not like him because he's a little threat to his leadership, see? And it's a time of peace, they're not at war anymore. And Abner comes and visits David, and David sends him off in peace. He says, man, you know, we're good. We're good. I know we've had problems, but, you know, we're all right. At Joab did not like the fact David sent him off. And in verse 24, chapter 3, So Joab went to the king and said, What have you done? Look, Abner came to you. Why would you let him go? Now he's gone. You know Abner, son of Ner. He came to deceive you and observe your movements and find out everything that you're doing. And Joab then left David, and he sent messengers with uh, after Abner, and they brought him back from the sister and the sire. But David did not know it. And this is un, David's unaware. This is happening. Now, when Abner returned to Hebron, Joab took him aside and put him in an inner chamber, as if to speak with him privately. He Said, "We're at peace now. Come on, hey, come on inside here this inner chamber. Let's have a talk." And there. To avenge the blood of his brother, you see, back when there was war and they were fighting, Abner killed Joab's brother in a battle. Remember what David said earlier in 1 Kings, remember what we read? Joab killed Abner in peacetime as if it were war. There was a difference. And there to avenge the blood of his brother Asiel, Joab stabbed him in the stomach. And he died. Now, Joab was pretty handy with a knife. I brought a knife up here. I'm not sure if it's exactly what Joab had. This, is, this reminds me of when, uh, when Crocodile Dundee, when that guy pulls a little knife on him and he pulls his out and says, No, this is a knife. You know, you pull your pocket knife out and say, I got a knife. And I'm saying, No, this is a knife right here. He hides this on on his body and he walks up to him and he stabs him with this. And he takes his life. He takes revenge on the guy when he shouldn't. He murders him. But he's also, look, he's very high up in the military and he's very strong in the kingdom. And David can't, can't get a hold of this guy. He can't get him, he can't get him in check. Now, he says he killed somebody else, too. He says he killed a guy. Let's go back to the passage we're in, the Kings. Remember this? He says he killed a guy named what? Amasa. And let me tell you who Amasa is. We've got anybody here that are first cousins. Who, who's the first cousin to somebody else in this same room? Jerry, who's your first cousin? Tommy Perkins? Okay. Uh, this is like y'all. Okay. I don't know if y'all grew up fighting or not or whatever, but first cousins. This is pretty close, right? Your, your moms were sisters? Okay. Here's what happened. Amaze's mom is Abigail. Joab's mom is Ziri. They're sisters with David's brother. These are first cousins. I mean, this makes for an interesting holiday meal. You know what I'm saying? I would never. If I'm at that meal, I would never say to I would never to say to Joab, uh, "Can you hand me the knife, please?" I would never do that. You see. He kills. A he kills his first cousin. But I want you to look how he did it in Second Samuel chapter twenty. They've been at odds with each other. And actually, eventually, Amasa got a job promotion that Joab thought he ought to have. And he was a little bit threatened by that. But it's peacetime now. And so, uh, verse 8 of 2 Samuel 20. While they were at the great rock in Gibeon, Amasa came to meet them. Now, Joab was wearing his military tunic and strapped over it was his waist was a belt with a dagger in the sheaf. As he stepped forward, it dropped out of its sheaf. Yeah. Well, he had that thing ready. Joab said to Amasa, how are you, my brother? Then Joab took Amasa by the beard with his right hand to kiss him. I started to have Jeremy come up here and pull his right hand, you know, but I didn't want to get too dramatic about this thing, but... he, He walks up with his right hand, grabs his beard, and he reaches over to kiss him on the cheek. Amasa was not on his guard against the dagger in Joab's hand. And Joab plunged it into his belly, and his intestines spilled out on the ground. Without being stabbed again, Amasa died. And then Joab and his brother Abisha pursued Sheba son of Bichri. And one of Joab's men stood beside Amasa and said, Whoever favors Joab, whoever is for David, let him follow Joab. Amasa lay wallowing in his blood in the middle of the road. And the men saw that all the troops came to a halt there. When he realized that everyone came up to Amasa, he stopped, he dragged him from the road into a field and threw a garment over him. Joab took this knife hidden under his tunic and he grabs a guy and he kisses him and then he guts him. His first cousin. And leaves him on the road. I mean, you can't make this stuff up. This this ought to be on a Criminal Minds episode or something, right? Forensic files or one of those things. So, David tells Solomon, Solomon, there's some unfinished business in the kingdom I didn't get to. Joab, you know how he killed Abner, and you know how he killed. I'm saying, look, Abner was a good man. Matter of fact, at Abner's funeral, David made everybody come and follow the body all the way to the funeral deal, and he wouldn't eat or drink until after the sun went down and mourned for Abner because he was a good man. And and the whole country mourned and realized that David didn't make this happen. This happened by evil men. So old Joab kills not only Abner, but he kills his first cousin Amasa. And here's what David tells Solomon on his dying bed. You deal with him, but you deal with him... With wisdom, but don't let his gray head go to the grave in peace. In other words, you take, you finish this unfinished business. You do not let him grow old and peaceful like everything's okay because it's not. You need to right this wrong that's happened in the kingdom. Now, two things: one, he knew Joab. Joab was a threat. To Solomon and to other people in the kingdom he 's toxic. Have you ever just had those kind of toxic people in your life and it seems like every time they're involved in something there's always trouble, there's always division, there's always somebody claiming one side or another. you ever had that kind of thing? Some are tossed, some are toxic to the point that they 'll take a knife and kill somebody. Others will take their tongue and they'll slice through the gut and intestines of other people, and they slice through it on social media, on Facebook, on uh, Instagram, on whatever it is, that they let, What? What? instead of a sword, they take their tongue and their words, and they hurt the people of God, and it ought not to be. It ought not to be. We ought to act better than that as God's people. Now, come on, I'm telling you right now, we've got a challenge to do the right Thing you don't take what you might consider injustices into your own hands, and you'd be the one to go out there, and I'm just going to right every wrong with my words or my dagger or my action. No. And the king had a solution for that. He said, "We're going to remove this toxic person out of this kingdom that they're poisoning." But you've got to do it the right way. As a king, you've got to do it with the wisdom of God. You can't do this out of revenge. You can't be like him. You've got to do this out of the wisdom of God. Which, by the way, Solomon does become one of the what? The wisest man in the world. Now, to complete the story, just so you know, you can read the rest of that chapter. And Joab gets scared for his life. He runs and hides in an altar in a tent because he knows nobody will come in there and kill him. And the one that's taking care of justice for Solomon at that time, his soldier, Ben and I, goes in there and, and gets ready to kill him. But he won't go into the tent. And he asks the king, What do I do? And the king says, You go in there and kill him anyway. It's got to be done. And he takes care of this man who has shed innocent blood. During peacetime, as if it were war, basically the state executes the murderer, and Joab is no longer. A couple of things I want us to make sure we get out of this. First of all, we need to understand that you don't take revenge for injustice. We don't take revenge. We don't get people back. We don't pay back. That's not God's way. As a matter of fact, even in handling this, David wanted, David knew this was going to have to be handled. This unfinished business that needs to take place. But he's going to tell Solomon that when you do this, you have to do it with wisdom. And what wisdom is he going to depend upon? Well, back to the first two verses, following God's word, trusting God's promises. Following all those things, that's the wisdom that you've got to execute as a king. You've got to follow these words and take care of business the way God expects a king to do. Just don't take revenge for injustice. He said, but but he tells us, but look now, you can't overlook it either. He said, don't let him go to his grave, don't let him take his gray hair down in peace. You can't just pretend this didn't happen. Now, that'd be easy to do. He's a powerful guy. You're like, look, if he's out of my hair for a while, maybe we just won't, maybe I just won't talk to him. Maybe we'll just, maybe he'll go on. We just won't. You can't overlook this injustice either. And I think this is a very difficult thing for us in our nation right now. Because we see injustices take place. And By the way, if you lived in other nations, you'd see it even more so. And always there are those that we want to figure out a way to make that, Happen, you know. We we, we need to speak up. We don't need, as a church, we do not need to overlook injustice that takes place. One, it's particularly for our people. We don't need to overlook it in our culture and in our nation either. We need to be people who speak up when there's injustices that exist. We need. We don't need to be afraid. We need to be bold. We need to act without fear standing up for what's right, what's morally right and what's right in the church and what's right morally in, in the country. That's a good thing. But when we do that, we must always do it with wisdom the way God says to do it. Now that becomes a little bit of a difficult task. There's injustice Exists when an unarmed black man is shot in the back by a police. That's injustice. Well, that's wrong. That's murder. But the injustice happens if, that, if, there's, if that's not handled right by the authority. There's injustice. When two policemen are eating their lunch at a restaurant, somebody walks up to a window like happened this week in Florida and point blank shoots and kills them. That's not right. That's injustice. And for a person to get away with that is injustice. And for us to cry out that one side or the other is more unjust or less... Look. That becomes a hollering match. Nobody wins. Who's going to show the right way to treat things, treat people when things happen? Who's going to show that? Who's going to be the best people to step up and say, this is how? Is it going to be me and you taking signs and protesting down at the courtyard? I don't think so. Actually, when you see Jesus deal with it, you don't quite see that picture. Now, I'm not against people for standing up and saying what they want, free speech, all that kind of thing. We're lucky in this nation to have that. Most nations don't, by the way. But that's not what's going to make a difference. It's going to be how we live our life in reaction to other people who mistreat us and we love them anyway. I love... Thank you. Some of you social media people, be aware. I, I love uh, Jason Jenkins' daughter Emma. You know she was bullied really bad for her Christianity on social media. A grown man saying terrible things about a teenage girl who's trying to live for the Lord. I thought, you know how ridiculous is that? Of course, my my first reaction is, you know, I, I'm not. I wouldn't say anything to that guy. Why? Because uh, because of what Percy King told me one time. He said, my don't, don't get in a puking contest with a buzzard. Which, by the way, if some of you, if you write something ugly and you're trying to get a response out of me on Facebook or whatever and I don't respond back, that might be the reason. But I love her response If I'm going to pray for that guy and I'm going to love everybody. You see, what might sound such a simple thing when we say we love everybody, it's such a really challenge to do that when people have treated you wrong to love them anyway. When people don't agree with you to love them anyway and treat them right anyway. And when you're treated in an unfair way to still love people and whatever you do in response to them, it may be something that handles an injustice, but you don't do it from a vengeful way. You don't do it from a... uh, Look, it's like this. When, when the disciples are wa- uh, Jesus is washing their feet. Remember that? He's sitting there washing their feet and he comes and he washes Judas's feet. Now, if that's me and he already knows what he's going to do, I'd be washing his feet and under my breath I'd be saying, he's going to get his. Right? God doesn't do that. Jesus doesn't do that. He washed the feet of Judas and totally loved... As a matter of fact, the Bible says to the, when he did wash, washed all those feet... He showed the full extent of His love. Think about that. You see, we can't we can't take revenge, even when we are handling an injustice, or even if we have the opportunity, can't do it. But we also can't overlook it. You can't just keep overlooking injustices that take place when you're raising your kids and you ever have one of your kids say that's not fair what was your response life's not fair fair. y'all were raised by the same guy I was life's not fair well it should be no it shouldn't be it's not fair it's not fair that I, I, I got to be born in a great country with all kinds of riches. I've never gone hungry. I have all these blessings. And I have friends that I've met over, over, overseas in Africa and other places that are raised in, in terrible situations. And, and that looks very unfair. You know? It's not about being fair. It is about being like Jesus. Jesus. And it is about being like Solomon and following the word of God and what I have to do. Now, look, I know he, he was the highest authority. He's the top policeman. He's the king, right? He's exacting justice in a legal way. But David didn't want him to do that out of, out of a vengeful heart. He wanted him to do it because it was right, because he wanted to protect the kingdom of God. Don't, don't just turn your a deaf ear. Don't, turn, don't be blinded and let injustice take place. We, we need to speak up. We need to have a voice. But when we do, we need to be sure we do it the way God wants. We need to act with wisdom. And that typically is not the way the world is going to respond. Now, I'm tempting my old flesh to act the other way. So I'm driving through Tulsa, Oklahoma. I don't know what lane to get in. Kristen says, need to turn left up here, Dad. And so I get, in the, I get in the left lane. I look in my mirror and I see a guy back there. He's coming on kind of strong, but I know I can make it because I used to drive in Dallas. I can make that. I, I get over there and, the boy, he comes up. He don't like it. He comes up close behind me. He's in the pickup truck. Oh, boy, you know... He honked, you know, and I just kind of did the wave, and so that was it. And I'm sitting there talking, and all of a sudden, boom, he hits his flat hand right on my... He got out of his truck and hit my window. And I... I, Before... And, of course, he ran off real quick. He didn't have any time to even... I just saw the back of him going back to his truck. But I immediately grabbed my gun, which, by the way, I I carry a gun just in case, and, and a knife, so... So, so I, gra- I actually grabbed my gun because I didn't know if he was going back and get a, get a gun out of the cab. I didn't know, you know, how people are today. So I just grabbed it, and I, I waited patiently, and I talked to my kids, my kids about it. Okay, look, you know, here's what we're not going to do. We're not going to panic, you know. And I just watched my mirror and made sure, you know, he didn't do anything else. Light turns green, so I go out. Of course, he passes me real fast, you know, and, and honks, and I wave like I know him. Oh, hey, you know. And uh, and he goes on. But therefore, that split moment, it just... But you know what the 21-year-old Mike Kellett wanted to do and would have probably done? Well, I, I, it wouldn't have been right. And I had to resist that. Because I really, I really didn't want him to get away with that ugly action I, I really wanted to fix that and I, and I knew better than to do that so I talked to my son about it my daughter, look I don't know what's going on in that guy's life I don't know if his wife just left him I don't know if he just got fired Josh said, well he's definitely got an anger problem I said, yeah he does, son, you got that right you know, but we just kind of talk through. You don't ever know what's happening with people, and so you know, for me to somehow or another get my pride all up and do. Now, look to protect my family. Would I do something? You bet I would. But that's not. It didn't. It wasn't that. It wasn't at that point. It didn't come to that. But you have to resist, even when you've been a Christian forty years. You have to resist what the flesh wants to do when you feel like an injustice is taking place, especially against you or somebody you love. Boy, you've got to resist the flesh on that. That's why he tells Solomon, look, follow the word of God. Trust his promises. And make sure you act with wisdom when you deal with this thing of Joab. Got it? Well, I want to leave you with one more idea about people who say things when they get ready to go to be with the Lord. His name was Chris. He had cancer. He had surgery. And he had a, a trach and he had a hole in his stomach. And he was dying... He was an old outlaw, really. I mean, a real old outlaw. Lived south of Uvalde, and Ray Melton and I go down to his old ranch. We walk in there, and Ray's been talking to him. We shared the gospel with him. And Chris says, "I'm ready. Is there any way we can? Can you figure out a way to baptize me?" So you bet, Chris. So, we, we got a cork and plugged up one hole in the stomach, wrapped it, and we held, when we got ready to baptize him, we held a thing over his heel, we got out, we carried him off out his front porch, there was a horse trough out there, we filled it full of water, we just lifted him up, he was skinny old cowboy, and I held the thing over my hand over the The cork and Ray held his hand over there, and we dipped him down, and we baptized him into Christ. We took him back in. He said, "All, all, all I know is I wish I'd give anything if I had done this years ago. I'd give anything if I hadn't wasted all those years. If I'd come to the Lord." three days later he died and within a week of baptizing him and a week of burying him in water we buried him in the ground and burying him the second time was a whole lot easier when you buried him the first but I'll never forget him saying that and that's my words to you if you've not been totally committed to God I'm telling you now's the time You may not be fortunate enough, like David, to have time to tell your kids, Here's what I want you to do afterwards. You may not have that opportunity. I may not have that opportunity. Chris, which is a hundred times, he could have done it way early in life and saved a lot of different difficulties. That's all right. His reward would be the same as ours the power of grace. But if you've been sitting out there and your life has not been 100% committed to God, I'm telling you, don't walk out of this room without knowing you're 100% right with God. And that happens through the story of you believing in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Saying, I want to change my life, being baptized in Christ. Remember some of you that are Christians, remember when you did that? And it changed the whole direction of your life. And walk out of here and put your head on your pillow tonight and you know 100% without a doubt when I lay down and go to sleep, if I don't wake up, it doesn't matter. I'm right with God. That kind of assurance comes from the story of Jesus. And I don't want you to miss out on that. I really don't. And I hope I have time in my life that I have last word moments with people I love. David did; others have, but who knows? We may not. Said so Mike, "Are you trying to, to scare me into the kingdom?" Well, I'm like one guy who said, "I'm trying to scare the hell out of you." <laughs> Got it? I want you to be right with God and assured of your future, and that's all we have in the gospel. You have a need? Come while we stand, while we sing.